Our reading this week continues in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 5 and reading the first 11 verses together. So Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to him for it this morning. Peace is an interesting word, isn't it? Peace is something that I think we would all recognize we desire in our lives. We live in a world that is now connected with a 24-hour news cycle, and so we're aware that there isn't an awful lot of peace in the world at any given moment. There is always conflict. One nation is always turned against another. Sometimes one nation is turned against itself and uh, broken apart by internal conflict and civil war. We have, in recent years, certainly in the West, almost given up the notion that peace might come to our world. In fact, it's almost become a bit of a joke, the idea um, that we would want world peace. It's just a nonsense uh, in our culture. And so what we've done is we've turned from the outside world to the internal world. We can't have peace in the world. People are greedy and selfish and simply enjoy being at war, it would seem. And so we should forsake the ideal of peace existing between nations And we should focus instead on being at peace with ourselves. We should strive for inner peace. And in our eternal quest for uh, inner peace, people in the West have largely turned to uh, Eastern religions, meditation, and so on that promise uh, inner peace. Although the route that you have to take in order to achieve that is perhaps not quite what we want here in the West. What we want ultimately when we say we want peace, whether it's in the world or internally, is we just want to be left alone to do our own thing. We just want to get on with our lives without people getting in the way and stopping us doing the things that we want to do, saying what we want to say and thinking what we want to think. We will push against anything that threatens our sense of inner peace. And this idea exists in in the Western world at large, but it has also infected the church. And in fact, we've managed to Christianize uh, this sort of view. 
such that as a Christian people, we will quite often say that we don't want to go here or do this thing because we have no peace about it. There is an assumption that that whatever it is we want to do in this life, if it is God's will and we are God's people, we should be at peace. We shouldn't feel stress or worry or anxiety about engaging in that certain area or activity or whatever it might be. And if we are at peace with whatever it is that is before us, then we should do it, regardless of the cost, because it must be right. I am at peace about that particular decision. The problem is, though, the Bible doesn't speak about peace in that way. Oh, certainly there are times in Scripture where wars between nations are described, and God says that He desires there should be peace. There will be a view um, expressed all the way through Scripture that when the end comes and God judges the nations, mankind will move, those who are God's people will move through that judgment into a time of unending peace. That is, there will be no war, there will be no conflict, uh, and so on. And yet, all of these concepts of peace in the Bible are subservient to one overarching idea. And it's one that we have largely forgotten about, certainly uh, in the Western world, in our culture. And yet, all our understandings of uh, peace between nations, peace between individuals, inner peace, all of them are subservient to this one overarching idea. And that is that we need peace first and foremost with God. The idea that we can have peace between warring nations uh, apart from God is a nonsense because at the end of the day, those two nations will always see things differently if they are not united by some common goal or purpose, something which drives them closer together constantly and never separates them apart. The same is true on a personal level. Of course, we desire peace in our relationships with one another, but that peace can never truly come if there is not first peace with God, which will completely reshape all of our relationships because they are all informed by the relationship we have with Him. So however different we may be, however different our cultures and our histories may be, we will always seek to build up and encourage one another, to bless one another, to be at peace with one another because of the peace we first have with God that informs us of who we are and what our desires are. And more than that, the peace that we seek internally can never come apart from peace with God. And the simple reason for that is that uh, sin in our lives constantly causes us to war with ourselves. It constantly tells us that we should hate the way we look because there is somebody more pretty just down the road or on the cover of a magazine or on the TV. We are told that we should constantly hate ourselves in the things that we do and the things that we think and the things that we say because we are not as clever as the next person. We're not as erudite in our words and in our speech as that other person that we know. We will never be at peace because sin constantly tells us that we don't have the stuff that our neighbors have. The whole marketing world is driven on making you dissatisfied. And we buy it, hook, line, and sinker. We want stuff. Now, the reason we want all of these things is because we are not at peace with God. 
And so we're seeking to fill that void with anything, anything else that will help us shut out that thought. And there can never be enough to fill that void. And so we are told because of sin that we must consume more and more and more, and we can never be at peace internally because we're at war with God. And in this passage in Romans 5, Paul begins with this word, therefore. He's been speaking about how we are at war with God for four chapters now. Even though we are Christians, we still struggle because we are in some way working in opposition to the very God who made us. And Paul talks about how Christ has come to put us right with God, to give us peace with him. And because of that peace, everything else is put into a different light. Peace can come in all our other relationships, even with ourselves internally, because we have been changed by what Jesus has done for us. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's interesting because it makes a clear assumption that we are, if not at peace with God in our fallen state and in our original state, then we are enemies with God, at war with him. And that is entirely what Paul's thinking suggests. Later in this passage and then on into the rest of the book of Romans, Paul is going to tell us we are naturally enemies of God. We have our minds set on the flesh, Paul is going to go on and say. And what he means by that is our human desires completely uh, separated out from a desire to follow God and to worship him what satisfies us, what blesses us, what builds us up. And because we are um, friends at peace in that sense with the flesh, with the desires of our natural selves, we are at war with God. Now, we might be living lives that are nice and respectable, that we give to charity, we help one another, and so on. And yet, because we are focused on living for ourselves and we are living to the exclusion of God, Paul tells us that we are, in fact, working against God. We are enemies with him. So in our society, when people fight with one another, when they use money or people to satisfy themselves, the desires of their hearts, uh, when people abuse drugs and alcohol, whatever it is we do, everything that we do in this world, we do so because our desire for satisfaction is greater than our desire for God. We will push him to the side and reject him because we want these other things because of how they make us feel. And when a whole life is marked by a desire for these things, we see a life that has no peace, that can never have peace, is always craving more, and certainly has no peace with God. And that isn't to say that when you become a Christian, you will just reject all of these things and everything will be fine and you will feel great. We will still continue to struggle with them after becoming Christians. But as we grow in our faith, they will present less and less of a draw to us. And God will present more and more of a draw that our desire will be for a greater and deeper relationship with him and be less concerned with these other things. But naturally, as we live for ourselves, we are enemies with God. And this means by its very nature, we cannot ever live at peace ever. However, we read in this passage 
that there is a solution to this problem. Paul concludes the first four chapters in which he's telling us that we uh, are enemies with God. He tells us that since we have faith in God, we are given this gift of faith to believe in Jesus, then because he took our sins upon himself and we trust him that he has done so, that we can be reconciled to God. He says that we can be justified by faith. That means that we can be put right in God's eyes, that we are um, reconciled, that we are brought into right relationship with him. And this means that while we, are, while we were still enemies of God, he intervened in our lives. He came to us when we wouldn't come to him and blessed us with forgiveness for our sins, with salvation. He opened our eyes to our need for him, and we cast ourselves upon him as a natural reaction to that um, awakening, as it were, to our sinful state. Forgiveness for all our sins, freedom from fear of death and hell, and all of that comes while we still hated him, while we were still his enemies. And verse 10 tells us that if while we were still enemies with God, he reconciled us to himself, forgives us, then how much more will he also save us through the course of our lives, be constantly working in us to deal with sin? We've been made right and are being made more and more right as time goes on. And this is Paul's way of saying that God forgives us in the eyes of the law, but he also welcomes us personally into his family. To try and and picture something of what that might be like, we heard news just in the past week or so that Bernie Madoff died in prison. Now, Bernie Madoff was the, um, the man behind one of the biggest pyramid schemes, the biggest Ponzi schemes, as they call them in the States, uh, possibly in human history. He conned people, his investors, out of $65 billion. And he did so purely operating this, this pyramid scheme. He would take his new investors' money and he would pay it out to his old investors as if this was a return in their investment. And he managed to string this along for years and years and years, and it was only the 2008 financial crash that brought the whole thing uh, to light. And his, uh, his little empire came crashing to the ground, and he was sentenced, I think, to something like 164 years in jail or, or something like that. He was told he would die in jail because he had ripped off his investors to the tune of $65 billion. Now, imagine for a second that... Bernie Madoff had ripped you off, had taken your life savings. Everything that you owned had been taken by him and was gone. It just disappeared. $65 billion just vanished, is gone. None of the investors, I think, got their money back. Now, imagine for a second that you spoke to the judge and you had him released from prison into your care, into your home. He never paid you back that money. He couldn't ever pay you back that money. It's gone, evaporated, been spent but you took him into your home. You forgave him for what he did to you. And more than that, you adopted him into your family and committed yourself to financially support him throughout the rest of his life, through his declining years, and ultimately through his death, and then paid for his funeral when it came. That is a tiny glimpse of what Jesus does for us in God. We were rebel sinners against God. We constantly worked against him, constantly seeking to take the things that he gave us and use them for something other than the purpose he gave us them. 
And yet, while we were still in that place, we'd been convicted and condemned. God liberated us from that prison, adopted us into His family, and then supported us and guided us through all the rest of our days. This is something like how amazing, how scandalous God's offer of peace with each one of us is. This is how much we hated him, and yet how much God loves us. And Paul tells us that once this peace is given by God, it cannot be taken away by the struggles and the hardships of life. He's going to go on and say that, that since that we've been made uh, at peace with God, that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces um, Character and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. Even though we go through tremendous difficulties, we're able to weather those storms, a severe lack of peace in our daily lives, things that we really don't want at all, because we've been made at peace with God. He has taken us into his home and promises us promises that he will nurture us, sustain us, and care for us, regardless of how hard things might be, right to the very end. That can't be taken away because God knew exactly what we were like before he gave it to us in the first place. And the only one with the power and authority to take it away is God. And because he knew us when we were rebel sinners, he knows exactly what we're like. And if he promised us that that salvation, even in that state, why would he take it away from us when we slip and we fall and give in to temptation and fail him subsequently after we've been made right? This doesn't excuse our sinfulness, our ongoing struggle with sin and our ongoing struggle with suffering and so on. It doesn't rub any of that out and, and, and take any of it away. The gravity of the situation is still there. But God will never leave us or forsake us even in the midst of those difficult circumstances. And so we always have cause for hope because our hope isn't in ourselves, in the maintenance of peace that we try and strive between um, us and our neighbors, or nation between nation. Our hope isn't in the UN or in uh, any um, body that exists sort of gathering nations together for the purpose of peace. It's not in having good family relations, as good as they are. It's not even in being at peace with ourselves so that we're happy and content where we are. It is in being at peace with God. That is the ground of our hope. Because if we're at peace with him, we can deal with any circumstance that comes. Because we have God and he is sufficient for us. At the end of the day, what we want is peace with God. But the question is how we get it. Well, Paul tells us how we get it. It is through Christ Paul makes it very clear that this kind of peace that helps us to endure all sorts of trials and sufferings, temptation and difficulty comes through knowing Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins that comes from him. So the question is, do you know peace with God? Now, maybe you do. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you aren't sure. So let's follow Paul along through the passage because he tells us not just about this peace with God, but what it looks like in our lives in two key areas. Firstly, we find that Jesus gives us new standing in life. He changes the ground upon which we stand and therefore the direction that we're able to go in this life. 
This peace we're given, Paul says, doesn't just change our our position in a legal sense. We're given a whole new direction in life. We're given, uh, we're told, access to God in verse 2. We have obtained access to God by faith into this grace in which we stand. If God has justified us, we now stand before him righteous. There is nothing that anyone can accuse us with that would God have us say, you're guilty and I want you out of my presence. Now, imagine how great a privilege that is. It is as if you have been given not just a private audience with the prime minister of our nation, but you have been given access to him and can speak to him at any time. He welcomes you in day or night, whenever and listens to what you have to say, and responds to what you have to say. Can I ask, the first time that you were brought into the presence of, uh, of God, the first time you realized that you were a sinner but have been forgiven by Christ, how did you feel? Overjoyed, elated, almost overwhelmed perhaps, This is an unbelievable privilege. You simply can't believe that you are here, that you're able to do this. And in the same way, if you were given that privilege with our first minister or our prime minister, how would you feel? You can come to me at literally any time of the day or night and I'll listen to everything you have to say. I will have a concern for you, for your well-being. I will constantly labor for your building up and your encouragement, for your blessing. Not that everything's going to go well for you, but that you will be enabled to go through even the harshest of circumstances because of my work on your behalf. Well, Jesus introduces us to his Father as our brother and sister. He welcomes us into God's presence and tells us, go on, say the things that you have to say, listen to what he says to you, be filled and blessed and encouraged and equipped and perhaps rebuked for your good. You have access to God through me. Now, if Boris Johnson or Nicola Sturgeon phoned you up and said, I want you to know you have complete unrestricted access to me and to the office I hold, so that whenever you need, you phone me and I will sort things out. I will begin to deal either with the problem you face or deal with you because maybe you're the actual problem. But whatever it is, we will fix this. And all of my power is available to you to that end. Nothing will ever overcome you. Nothing will take you out of my presence. Nothing can stop this relationship. It doesn't matter what it is. Now, how would we respond to that? There's one of a couple of ways. The first way is we might just go nuts and just never be out of their presence, constantly coming to them. I've got this problem. I need this fixed. I have this difficulty. I need that sorted. I don't understand what to do in this situation. What should I do? We would just come to them with absolutely everything and anything or we might never ask them for anything. We we don't want to spoil the relationship we have. We don't want to be that needy kind of person. It's not right for me to ask you for this help. I I really ought to um, sort my own problems out by myself. Now, the first person takes him at his word fully or her word fully. If the first minister or the prime minister said any time, and we then went and embraced that and, and approached them at any time, we're taking them at their word, aren't we? The second person doesn't feel that it's right, doesn't feel it's their place to be meeting in that way with their small problems. That should be sorted out by someone lesser than this person. 
Our standing before God is completely changed, and we are given peace with God. We obtain, we are introduced into the presence of God precisely so that we might constantly come before Him in prayer, constantly be in being reconciled with Him, have a source of strength and of life, as we read at the start of our service in Psalm 18, that we might constantly have a place of refuge, that we might constantly be equipped, and so on. And to say to God, thank you so much for that great privilege, but I really don't want to trouble you, is to neglect the relationship that we have specifically been ushered into by Jesus. This is why Jesus died on the cross, to reconcile you to God, to give you that relationship. So it's not right for us to shy away from that and and to take that position of the second person and say, no, 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 my problems are too small for you. God knew what your problems were. God knew exactly what you were like and what your life will be like. And he reconciled you to himself through Jesus. So it's right in the relationship we have with God to constantly come before him with everything and ask that he might hear us, that he might bless us, that he might use us. And then it's right that we recognize his position over us as the one who knows and understands all things. And when he reveals to us his desires and his word, that we go and actually do these things. Because to hear him and then to say, well, that's nice, but that's not for me, is to insult the relationship that we have with him. We've been given this tremendous privilege. And so it's right that we take advantage of it, but it's right that we also heed what we hear from him and go and live in light of it. We are brought into God's presence. We are given access by God uh, to God by grace alone. God has gifted us salvation, and in doing so, has lifted us up from who we were, from where we were, and has made us sons and daughters of Him. We are adopted into His family, made part of His family. He has gifted us the right to stand before Him and to bring our worship as well as our needs before Him. And this is a truly amazing thing about the relationship we have with God. This new standing that we have is given freely. It is a gift of God. You haven't earned it. And so we don't come before God asking Him for help for the circumstances that we face, thinking that you ought to give me these things because I have somehow earned the right. What we do is we come before God and we hear whatever He says, and we respond to it with thanksgiving, even when it's hard even when it's a challenge to us, even when it's a rebuke of us, because actually we're the problem in the first place. We're causing all of this difficulty, perhaps, or we're standing in the way of the solution, whatever it might be. That because we come by grace, it is the gift of God, we know that God will always tell us what is true and what is right, not simply what is nice or comforting to us. We haven't earned that place, so God is under no obligation to tell us what is expedient or or kind. God can always be truly honest because we come into his presence by grace. And that's an amazing thing. It means you can always trust what God says in his word to you as you ask for guidance, as you ask for strength and encouragement. You can always trust him because he's never in your pocket. You haven't purchased his help his assistance, his advice. He he has your best interests at heart and will always tell you what is true. Is that not an amazing thing? It should give us great cause for worship, and that's exactly what Paul says. 
that all of these things, as we go through difficult circumstances in life, should cause us uh, to worship God. He says that right at the end of the passage. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received this reconciliation. We, We should be turned to worship because of this reality, because this reframes our whole life. We have a God who welcomes us into His presence, builds us up, strengthens us, challenges us, teaches us, and will always only ever do what is right by us. And it's freely given. We don't get a better deal than this anywhere else in this life. This is what it means to be at peace with God. And so we can begin to understand how this then enables us to be at peace with one another. We find that we are given a right standing with God. Jesus gives us right standing with God. And Jesus then gives us cause to rejoice in light of this right standing because this changes everything. All our relationship with ourselves, with the world, because of the change in our relationship with God. And this is what worship is. It is living in light of this changed standing we have with him, this changed circumstance. When we live in accordance with the new direction we've been aimed, as it were, we worship. And it's in light of the hope of his glory. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are saved purely by God's work on our behalf so that we have no grounds for boasting. However, we're told here that boasting is exactly what we should be doing, not in ourselves, but in God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we read that God chose us. Uh, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now, to, to put this into, um, into context in our lives, if somebody saved your life from certain death, would you not go around telling everyone how amazing that person is? The amazing thing they did for you, that, that just at the last moment they snatched you back from the very brink that everything was going wrong, but, but you just can't believe it. They did this amazing thing. You're going to go around telling everyone about how amazing that person is for you. You will always be... Um, constantly reflecting back on that great life-changing moment and telling everyone about it. You're not going to be ashamed to do that because this person means so much for you. And that is what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians and Romans and in Ephesians. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. We're constantly going to be telling people about the peace we have with God and all the things that go with it as we are Uh, drawn into his presence, welcomed, given access into his presence. And this means that we will reflect the peace we have with God in our own lives, with ourselves. We will see ourselves more and more the way God sees us, not the way that uh, the world tells us that we ought to see ourselves, not the way that sin dictates we should see ourselves. As always pathetic and weak and scornful and hateful. God tells us, you've been drawn into my presence. I love you. I'm pouring my love into your life. My spirit is constantly with you. My word, my instruction to you is constantly with you. I want you to do well. You are my son, my daughter, and valued as such. How can you hate that person? 
You can't. Now, we'll struggle because we've been brought up to hate ourselves by this world, but we have no need to do that because God values us. It will change the way that our relationships with one another works, because if you are in a relationship with another Christian person, you will see them as someone who has been brought into the presence of God just like you have, who is valued just like you are, who ultimately is focusing on the same things you are. And we might not see eye to eye on a million different things, but we can be constantly laboring together because we glorify God, because we love God, because He first loved us. And because we've been reconciled to him and our enmity with God was far greater than our enmity with one another, then we can deal with that. That's a much smaller issue. And so it is with Christians and non-Christians that we want people so much to be at peace with God that we will constantly be seeking to make peace with them in light of the peace we have with God by sharing the gospel with them, by blessing them and encouraging them and challenging them, but doing so in a loving way, seeking always to stand up for the things of God. And it might be that those people don't want us and reject us and seek to be enemies with us, but we constantly present a soft target, as it were. We constantly present ourselves as someone who only wants what is good and best for you, because we love you and we want you to know the love that God has for you. And so that scales up to regions and nations and indeed across the world. We know that peace won't truly come because the devil is constantly at work in the world to upset the balance that exists between people and nations and even internally. But at the end of the day, as we labor to see peace, the peace of God manifest in the world, we worship. And we do so by rejoicing in the peace that God has given us. And as we rejoice in that before others, they cannot help but see something they will never have in their own, by their own strength. This is a truly astonishing thing we are given by God. Peace with Him. I want to say to you this morning, the inner peace, however you might seek it, just isn't going to cut it. Whatever you strive for in this life to bring yourself a sense of peace that you're doing the right thing, you're a good person, you're going the right way, it will never be enough because there will always be a bit of you in your mind, in your heart that says that you're not. You know you're not. You're not a great person. You've said a million hurtful things. You've done a million horrible things over the course of your life and that can't be blotted out. And you'll constantly do that more and more. John Calvin said that the heart is a factory of idols. It constantly churns out sin all the time. As we try and lift ourselves up, it just causes us to pull ourselves down more and more. Inner peace won't cut it. Peace with our friends and family won't cut it. It's always temporary. It will always fall apart in the end because sin is a corrosive force in this world. And so between nations, there are always greedy, hungry people out there who will trample over anyone for the sake of themselves. What we need is not peace with ourselves or peace with our neighbors or peace with the world first. It's peace with God. And Paul says that therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have, not we might have, we hope to have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. Jesus brings peace. Before you look for anywhere else, seek it in him. 
And once you have it, rejoice in the Lord, for you have a new standing and a new direction in life that will only magnify his glory in all that you do and in every relationship that you have. Amen. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us not what we want, but what we need. And what we need is peace with you. We are naturally all enemies of yours. We constantly labor for our own good and not for the good of you and your glory. And so, Lord, we thank you that even while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus to reconcile us to yourself. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the sinfulness of sin and have us drag it out of our lives, that whatever needs to be done to have it killed, Lord, that we would have it done away with. We thank you that Jesus has made us right with you and drawn us into your presence, and part of that access we have with you is the putting to death of sin daily. It is also, Lord, our nourishing and our blessing and our encouragement. And so, Lord, we thank you. May we always be seeking to come into your presence and pour ourselves out before you, Lord, that you might bind us up, challenge us, encourage us, teach us. Lord, lead us on so that we would glorify you, and in glorifying you, we may find greater joy than in anything else in all this world. Heavenly Father, we long to be at peace in our lives. It's the one thing that constantly eludes us. But Lord, teach us all to seek peace first in the only place where it can truly come from, in you, in our relationship with you and then see it work itself out in all our other relationships. Lord God, we ask all this in the knowledge that it is the only means by which transformation can come to us, our church, our society, and our world. And so, Lord, we ask that it might be done in Jesus' name. Amen.